Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Don't think that you can get involved in something you shouldn't be involved in and because lightning didn't strike you, it's okay. Don't think that you've, you started an affair, you started flirting with someone and you think, well, you know, everything's the same. Nothing's really happened. I'm okay. God's giving you room to repent. God is being gracious. Second Peter tells us that those who teach false doctrine will be judged swiftly. God, in His graciousness, gives them, and all of us who turn away from God's ways, time to repent. The book of Second Peter serves as a warning to beware of false teachers and a strong warning to false teachers to heed the word and the judgment of God. With Second Peter 1 through 12, here's Robert Furrow. Second Peter chapter 2 especially is such a strong warning against false teachers. He's informing us in the church that there are false teachers teachers. Not only that there are false teachers, but that there are many false teachers. And these false teachers are effective, and they will remain effective. But in the middle of the warning that he gives us, and helping us to understand that we need to be diligent in checking out what people say, making sure that, hey, we have a heart to receive. We want to receive whatever God has for us but making sure that what we're being told before we apply it, that we're testing it in Scripture, that we're testing the individual to see if their life stands up to what is being said as we receive the Word of God from them. But in the middle of this, he turns again, as it were, to the false teachers and basically says to them, I would not want to be you because bad things are already on their way. And for that reason, a good section of this scripture is to false teachers. If somehow you have signed on to this online, find yourself listening to this study and you are teaching something that is not true and you're doing it out of covetousness, you're doing it to manipulate people, you're doing it to use people, you're doing it to get your own way, to seek things for yourself, to lord over the body, then this passage and this teaching is a warning to you to repent from it. God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and that Satan infiltrates that and puts in ministers of darkness who charade as ministers of light is an appalling thing. And as we're going to see, God doesn't hold back the words when he speaks to them. As Jesus spoke to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, as he gave the harsh words to them because they were leading God's people astray. It's as if we're going down a path and going down this path, God has placed true and genuine teachers to help people be the men and women that God wants them to be, to help them be empowered by the spirit, to help them be light, to help them be salt, to help them affect the world around them. And Satan has put people to lead people astray, to knock them off the way. And if we don't test them, if we don't check out what they say, if we wholeheartedly just receive them, it's such a dangerous thing because we might ourselves be led astray. Over the years, I've had a few friends that have absolutely 
zero discernment. Now, there's a strength that they have in that they are open and they are not uber critical. They, they aren't overly critical towards individuals. But they're, interestingly enough, I found that often when someone doesn't have discernment, they'll say, well, I really like this teacher that obviously doesn't teach the truth at all. Like I had a friend say to me, this is a long time ago now. This is 20-something years ago now, probably close to 30 years ago. Robert Schuler, Robert Schuler's son taught the gospel. Robert Schuler himself did not teach the gospel. And uh, he said of Robert Schuler, oh, I love Robert Schuler. And I remember giving him a double take. And after talking with him a little bit, suddenly realized that he had a tolerance for false teachers but he had a lack of tolerance for anybody that would point out false teachers. He had compassion towards those who were ministering, but he had no compassion for those who took a position of saying, let's stick with the truth. And that's a dangerous place to be. We want to bear all things. We want to believe all things, like the Bereans, who were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians, because they received the word of God with all joy. You listen to what somebody says, you say, wow, great, I'll receive that. But then you search the scriptures to find out whether those things are so. And when you find out that somebody is teaching, have faith in your faith, which is basically nonsense. Teaching, well, as long as you believe, I believe in believing. Silliness. And people hear that kind of stuff and, and some people go, oh, that's so deep. No, it's not. It's nonsense. We need to have discernment towards what's taught, check out what people say, and when someone proves that they are not teaching the Word of God, turn away from that individual because they are highly effective. Now, let's look at what Peter says here. Let's start in verse 1. I I want to make a couple comments about the first few verses, but we got to, what was it, verse 3 last week? So we'll try to get further than that. He says, but there were, verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. That's a statement. They're there. If you don't know who the false teachers are, then you could be in trouble. You got to know who's teaching what's true and who's teaching lies. But there were false prophets among them, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies. It's so bad because they're destructive heresies. They overpromise and underproduce. They tell you this is the real way. This is with the power of God. This is where we found the truth. But they overproduce, or excuse me, they underproduce, even denying the Lord. They'll even deny Jesus. Jesus said, many will come saying that I am he. Many have come over the years and millions in the world follow those that claim that they are a Messiah when they are a false Messiah. He says, denying even the Lord who bought them and bringing on themselves swift destruction. Destruction is a sure thing. And not only is it sure, it's swift. You might not think it's swift if someone teaches for 30 or 40 years and they aren't judged while they teach during that time. But God is giving them room to repent. And when the judgment comes, it will come swiftly. And remember, 
to God. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God. Be careful, not only when it comes to, to teaching false teachings, don't think that you could start teaching something bad and because lightning doesn't strike you that you got away with it. Don't think that you can get involved in something you shouldn't be involved in and because lightning didn't strike you, it's okay. Don't think that you've, you started an affair, you started flirting with someone and you think, well, you know, everything's the same. Nothing's really happened. I'm okay. God's giving you room to repent. God is being gracious. And unless you repent, the destruction will be swift because sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. And the destruction for these false teachers will be swift. Verse two, and many, look at the word many, will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth is blasphemed. Because of all the false teachers that are out there, because of all the cults, because of all the teachings that are considered to be in the church but are false, people are confused. They don't know what to believe. And so the real truth ends up being blasphemed. People say, well, I'm not going to follow anything. How do you know what the truth is? I'm not following anything. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has the power to save, is blasphemed because of it. It says, by covetousness, they will exploit you. They want something from you. That's why they're teaching these false doctrines. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Oh, I like that. It's on its way. Your destruction isn't sleeping. These are strong, harsh words against false teachers. God doesn't tolerate them. He goes on to say then in verse four, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He uses an example now. It's as if this is a teaching to false teachers. This, this little section that we're getting ready to cover now is a warning to false teachers. He's saying, listen, if God didn't spare angels and angels, well, Philippians tells us that Jesus became a little lower than the angels, laying his glory aside, humbling himself, laying his glory aside, becoming a little lower than the angels. So angels are a little higher than us. Angels don't understand everything that's going on. The Bible says that angels desire to look into what you and I have discovered. In other words, I think that what the Bible is telling us is that angels are scratching their head when it comes to you. Why does God save you? Why is God using you? Angels don't really get it. Angels have this position. One angel in the Bible killed 184,000 people. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about angels. They're, they're ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have found life. You and I have angels that minister to us. Jesus spoke of the angels of the children seeing the face of God. Jesus is the one who kind of spoke of a guardian angel, a thing for children. There's a lot about angels we understand, and there's a lot about angels that we don't understand. I believe that they are majestic creatures created by God. One of the massive confusions is that when we die, we become angels. If that's what you think, I'm sorry to ruin your whatever you had in becoming an angel. You aren't 
going to become an angel when you die. You'll become a person who will go into glory and share the glory of God, and it will be completely and totally awesome. But angels were created by God sometime before, I believe, mankind was created. And they are powerful, and they hold a position as God's messenger, which is what angel means, a messenger of God. The Bible tells us that, that there is a heavenly host of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels. We also know that a third of the angels fell. They aren't angels because they have to be. They have a right to choose whether they serve God or whether they don't, just as we have the right to choose. And Lucifer, who was one of the angels, he was a good angel. He fell and became the accuser. He became darkness, and he led a third of the angels with him into that darkness. Now, those angels are allowed to roam, and they're allowed to, to interact with men. They're allowed to tempt, and they're allowed to, to confuse. And there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm over the souls of individuals. Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what the battle is over. It's over souls. When you think that the enemy is attacking you, understand that he's trying to get you ineffective in winning someone to Christ. There's someone around you who needs to see the light of Christ. And when you are being attacked in the spiritual realm, it's because Satan wants to make you ineffective in shining the light to that individual. Someone's destiny could be hanging in the balance, but we have angels that help us in the midst of that battle and we're, we're to put on our armor. Just, and you would wonder, why does God allow demonic spirits, fallen angels, to have access to the earth at all? Well, the Bible even says that they have access into heaven. The Bible says that one day the sons of God were presenting themselves to God. Sons of God is a reference to angels there. And Lucifer was named among them. He was even able to go up and to have access into heaven. Why does God let demons run around? Why does he let them attack and tempt? The answer to that, you guys ready for this? Hold on to your hats. I don't know. I don't understand it. Why does God allow false teachers to continue to teach? Why does he let them live for 30 and 40 years and deceive people to their own ends and for their own means? But there are there are restrictions God has put upon these fallen angels so that if they get out of line, God will hold them in a place of darkness in chains held for the day of judgment. When Lucifer wanted to tempt Job, and by the way, it was God who brought up Job, which is always interesting. When you're reading Job and Satan shows up and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan says, well, it's only because you put a hedge around him. I can't get to him. And that's the only reason that he's serving you. And so God says, okay, go ahead. Just don't touch his body. And then a little bit later on, he says, it's because you won't let me touch his body. So God had put restrictions upon him. And God says, go ahead. You can touch his body. Just don't kill him. Job prayed for death. Job wanted to die. But Satan was restricted in what he can do. And it's important for us to know that the angels are restricted in what they can do. But sometimes these demonic spirits crossed the line as they did in the days of Noah. And there is no small controversy in the church as to exactly what that means in Genesis chapter six. I, I believe that reading it as, as direct as we can, 
that these angelic spirits crossed the line and got involved with human women. And God said, enough. And he took those angels and he put them into, into darkness, held in chains. God stopped them when they transgressed and went further than what God had allowed them to move. And I wonder with false teachers, I wonder if there's not a line there as well. I, I wonder if they, there's a time when they will go too far and God will say, that is enough. Like he did with these fallen angels when he reserved them in chains. By the way, the Nephilim, the mighty ones, were the result of this union between these sons of God and these daughters of men that you find in Genesis chapter 6. So most likely this is a reference to that. First Peter says, talks about the fallen angels who were held in chains and then says, who in the days of Noah did not keep their proper place? So we know in 1 Peter that he's talking about these angels kept in chains for the day of judgment that they didn't keep their proper place during the days of Noah. Now, strictly speaking, you might be able to say there was another event that happened and it's not recorded in the pages of Scripture. And that could be true. Maybe God isn't talking about the event in Genesis chapter 6. But when you look at Genesis chapter 6 and then you look at 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and the book of Jude and all of the references there to it, it seems that they are making a reference there. And so the, the first point would be, if God judges angels who are a little higher than men, then what makes you think as a false teacher that God won't judge you? That's pretty heavy. That's the concept and the idea that destruction is at the door and you better make sure if you're a teacher that you're teaching the truth. You better make sure you're committed to the truth, that you're committed to the gospel and that you're using what God has given you to present how people can enter into the kingdom of God and to show people how they can grow up, mature in Christ and be used by him. He goes on to say then in verse five, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Just look at that last sentence in that verse, on the world of the ungodly. God didn't spare angels who are a little higher than men, when he, but brought them into judgment. How much more is God gonna judge the false teachers? And if God didn't stop his judgment towards the mass of the world, but only saved eight people in the days of Noah. Eight people, and that was it. That's all. The rest were destroyed. If God will destroy a great number of people when they become violent and when they become ungodly, then certainly God will destroy these false teachers that he's speaking of. He's using these not as examples. Do you remember I started chapter two last week? by talking about how pastors, this is kind of dangerous ground for pastors. This is where you can get bogged down and you can lose the overall sense of the chapter. You can kind of get stuck in the mud as it were here. Not that the word of God is muddy, but the topics here are topics that can bog you down. You can get stuck talking about angels and demonic forces and women and is it possible for there to be a sexual union between the two? It's possible to get bogged down into the flood and talking about the flood and miss the point of what he's saying. The point is, God destroyed the entire world one day when the world went astray and saved eight righteous people. So why don't you become one of those eight righteous people? 
If God saved eight righteous people but destroyed the rest of the world, then we better make sure that we're following him the way we're supposed to, especially those of us who are entrusted with the word of God, who are entrusted as pastors and teachers and leaders to lead God's people. And we need to make sure that we follow properly. He goes on to say in verse six, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. If God judged angels, God judged the world in the flood, and if God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, turned them to ashes and brought them destruction, then God certainly will destroy those who are teaching false doctrines. Now, what was the reason that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody venture to yell it out? What's the reason that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, you guys have read your Bible. That's a good thing. Um, homosexuality is not why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality was, was practiced in Sodom and Gomorrah, but so was all other kinds of sexual perversion. The problem in Sodom and Gomorrah is that people were living for their own pleasure. And when you begin as an individual to live for your own pleasure, whatever kind of perversion you're entering into, and I always hesitate to use that word because it sounds like such a preacher word, doesn't it? Perversion. There's perversion out there somewhere, you know? Doesn't it just sound like a preacher word, a, a Bible word, a church word? I went to church and the pastor talked about perversion. When I used to do upholstery, in my toolbox, I had a giant screwdriver and I never used it as a screwdriver. I never found a screw big enough to use it as a screwdriver. Instead, I used it when I had to bend something or I used it when I had to pop something out, when I needed a lot of leverage. I'd get that screwdriver and get it in there and I'd bend it down. The screwdriver would bend and, and, and I probably was lucky that it didn't snap and fly into my eye. At the very least, give me stitches because they make tools like crowbars and other things that are made for that very purpose. Did I have one of those in my toolbox? No, I made do with what I had. And in that way, I was perverting the use of the screwdriver. They made that screwdriver to take out giant screws, I suspect, although I never saw any of them. They made them for that, but I was using it for something else. And so if a man has sex with a man, a woman has sex with a woman, or Leviticus talks about men and women having sex with animals, all in the same verse, by the way, all in the same section, whole chapter in Leviticus, which was so much fun to cover. Um, it's a perversion in the sheer sense of the word. God made the body of a man for the body of a woman. And then God made a man to be committed to a woman and for those two to join together and to give each other pleasure. God's the one that came up with the sexual union. It was his idea. It's not dirty and perverted when it's done the way God wants it to be done. And it honors a husband and a wife when it's practiced properly. But when it's practiced outside of those, it becomes a perversion. And it becomes a perversion because they're seeking their own pleasure. When you're just trying to please yourself, 
in the sexual act, how, whatever way, whatever perversion you might be using to please yourself, then you become selfish. And when you become selfish, you're not concerned about those who are suffering. Thank you, you for no joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope and that so our verse-by-verse verse studies truly Sodom help you to see that God is real. He wants so a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.